News on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Morning. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Monday the 19th of September. Welcome to a new week of Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the business and finance headlines. Economic activity data for China in August came in mainly better than expected. The standouts number was retail sales, which rose 5.4% year on year, up from 2.7% in July, boosted by strength in the restaurant and catering sector, autom- automobiles and consumer goods. Industrial production grew by 4.2% year-on-year in August, an improvement from 3.8% in July, but still weak by China's normal standards. The big disappointment in the data was housing. The numbers showed home prices have now declined every month in the past year, with the contraction worsening in August. Residential property sales continued their weakness, down over 30% year-on-year in the January to August period. Data from Hong Kong also shows weakness in the city's housing market worsening. The Centre City Leading Index, compiled by Centreline Property, fell 0.3% week-on-week to the lowest level in more than three and a half years. The city's used home values have fallen almost 7% this year. Hong Kong Financial Secretary Paul Chan said yesterday the budget deficits this year is expected to exceed 100 billion Hong Kong dollars, the second worst on record. The amount is almost double the $56.3 billion originally estimated in February's budget. The deficit will be even worse, but for the $35 billion raised through the issuing of green bonds. Mr Chan also revealed the government's financial reserves might further dip to around $800 billion Hong Kong dollars. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Alex Wong of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management and Nitin Dialdas from Mandarin Capital. With a view from mainland China is Shanghai-based independent economist Andy Sher. U.S. shares slid on Friday after a FedEx profit warning worsened the gloom over the global economy. The S&P 500 shed 0.7% to end the week at 3,873, down 4.8% over the five days in its worst week since mid-June. The Dow dropped 139 points, or half a percent, to close at 30,822, extending its losses for the week to 4.1%. The Nasdaq slid 0.9% to finish at 11,448. For the week, it was off 5.5%, also its worst week since June. Shares of FedEx, considered a bellwether for the global economy, plunged over 21%, their worst daily drop ever. The package delivery company withdrew its full-year guidance and said the global economy had significantly worsened. In Europe, the Stock 600 index fell 1.6% on Friday and was down 2.9% for the week. The UK's FTSE 100 dropped 1.6% over the week. Hong Kong stocks tracked world markets lower Friday. The Hang Seng Index dropped 169 points or 0.9% to 18,762. For the week, it lost 3.1%, the third consecutive weekly loss. Property stocks led the sell-off, with the Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index closing 2.8% lower. 
The Hang Seng Tech Index fell 2.6% on the day and 5.4% for the week. The Shanghai Composite Index dropped 74 points or 2.3% to 3,126. That's the biggest decline in almost four months. And over the five days, it fell 4.2%. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 0.6% higher on Friday, but was down 1.6% for the week. It's trading this morning at $91.97 a barrel. Copper was down 0.4% over the week. The strong dollar and expectations of another 75 basis point rate hike from the Fed this week sent gold prices to their lowest level in more than two years. The spot gold price briefly fell to $1,654 per ounce. That's 19% below its recent peak in March and 8% lower over the year. This morning, it's trading at $1,678 an ounce. The front end of the U.S. Treasury yield curve continued to make new highs, with the two-year yield topping 3.9% on Friday. That's the highest level since November 2007. The 10-year yield rose one basis point to 3.46%, leaving the yield curve the most inverted since September 2000. And the U.S. dollar continued its stratospheric ascent last week. The U.S. dollar index rose 0.6% over the week and is up almost 15% year-to-date, close to a 20-year high. The euro this morning trading just above parity with the dollar. The Japanese yen hit a 24-year low last week before rebounding to trade this morning at 142.75 versus the dollar. The British pound on Friday marks the 30th anniversary of Black Wednesday by dropping to the lowest level since 1985. On Friday, the pound fell as much as 1% to $1.13.5 at one point. It's recovered a little this morning and it's trading at $1.14.25 and 8 Hong Kong dollars and 97 cents. The onshore Chinese yuan broke through the 7 per dollar mark for the first time since July 2020 after the PBOC fixed the currency at its weakest in two years. Offshore yuan fell to 7.04 and a quarter per dollar Friday, but this morning has recovered to 7 against the dollar. And Bitcoin, that lost 7% last week and starts this morning trading at $19,300. Taking a look around the Asia-Pacific stock markets this morning, the ASX 200 in Australia right now, uh, that's up about a quarter of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea is down about 0.2%. Futures markets pointing to a 50-point drop for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Times at 8.10. Let's welcome our guests. We have with us, as always, on a Monday morning, Alex Wong, director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management Company. Morning, Alex. Hey, morning, Peter. And also with us is Nitin Dialdus, the chief investment officer at Mandarin Capital. Morning to you, Nitin. Good morning. Uh, let's start with this economic data for China. Um, it did mainly come in better than expected, didn't it? Particularly retail sales, industrial production was a little bit higher. Let me get your thoughts, first of all, overall, before we dig into some of the individual data. Alex, what do you think um, it's telling us about, first of all, China's economy in August and also what the momentum is like going forward? I think uh, it may be a little bit distorted because uh, before August uh, we have... Uh more lockdowns uh, in major cities in China. So the uh, rebound in 
we tell our consumption is actually probably maybe due to that. Uh, so I will not be too optimistic on that. And for industrial production, I think uh, people probably will look forward. Uh, they look look at the forward uh, situation more because right now I think people are a little bit worried about the uh, Washington administration targeting at uh, major industries in China. So I think uh, that data actually is supportive. But uh, I think people probably would, uh, would look at the uh, upcoming uh, movement uh, between China and US more uh, than the past data. I suppose what stood out for those retail sales and industrial production numbers was just how important cars were uh, to the numbers. There was uh, very strong sales, up almost 16% year on year. Presumably this is because all of the tax cuts and subsidies that Beijing have been giving uh, buyers of electric vehicles. Yeah, that is another factor. Because uh, for China, they cannot... um, probably they do not want to boost uh, the housing market much, so they are targeting the, uh, the stimulus at the uh, automobile markets and other other, other goods. I suppose it's not uh, sustainable, though, is it? I, I don't think so, actually. Yeah. Nitin, what, what are your thoughts overall? I mean, it seems the economy certainly recovered better than people were expecting um, in August, but we've still got uh, lockdowns, although the one in Chengdu is uh, reportedly going to be lifted today. What do you think it looks like going forward? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Alex in the sense I think it's a temporary upswing. Um, there's still lockdowns going to happen. We know any time there's a case in any city or state, they have massive lockdowns. Um, so that's going to continue to uh, pressure the Chinese economy. And I, I just can't see where the rebound's going to happen until they decide they want to start opening up again. Mm. Retail sales numbers, they were quite a bit better than expected, weren't they? Up 5.4% year on year that compared to uh, 2.7% growth in July. So that presumably is a positive. Surprisingly, restaurant revenue rebounded. That was, um, that was a bit of a surprise, given a lot of people are still locked down. Well, I think that's also a factor of the fact that in July we had Shanghai lockdown and there were some major cities that were locked down. So you're just getting some of the rebound on pent-up demand from that. It should normalise, and as long as like the major cities stay open, maybe they will stabilise. But we know we know how China is. I mean, you've seen Chengdu now, where what's that? Twenty-five million people are locked down. Overall, there are about one hundred and twenty million people in China under lockdown. So, and that's going to continue every time there's a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of a hint of COVID. They're going to lock down the city. So you've always got that worry that the figures aren't going to be sustainable just on the basis that you know big cities can be locked down at any time. Alex, do you, do you get the feeling that um, consumer sentiment is still rather fragile on the mainland? Yeah, of course. I think uh, the, the major worry is uh, is the uh, housing market. And uh, as long as the housing market is, uh, is that bad, I think uh, the rebound in consumer sentiment actually would be limited. Mm. What, what about the industrial production numbers? Um, rose by 4.2% in August year on year. That was up from 3.8% growth in July. But look at this new energy vehicles production, up 117% year on year last month. Again, it's, it seems to be cars, isn't it, that's, uh, that's boosting uh, sort of everything. Also a big spike in electricity production as well during the heat wave. Presumably that rebound's also unlikely to be sustained. Uh, yeah, um Exactly that. And I think, as you mentioned earlier, the subsidies or the tax cut uh, subsidies that China's offering on the electric vehicles is certainly playing a major part in, in that demand and production. Mm. Um, and again, you know, you look at where things were, Shanghai, where, you know, you've got tested plants and things like that, was under lockdown. So there is a catch up coming out um, from that. 
Um, so it's not necessarily... T- I mean, it's it's probably higher than we expected, but it's not too much of a surprise to see those high numbers on the electric or the new energy vehicles, as you like to call it, uh, side of it. Um, but again, not sustainable. And when you talk about the electricity consumption after the heat wave, again, I don't I don't see that being sustainable either. Mm. Let me ask you about the jobless rates, the urban jobless rate, the surveyed jobless rate, which doesn't include uh, tens of millions of migrant workers. That improves slightly. Uh, it's 5.3%, down a little bit from 5.4% in July. But the unemployment rate for young people, those aged 16 to 24, uh, is at 18.7%, down from the, the record almost 20% we saw in July. But nevertheless, it does mean, doesn't it, Alex, nearly one in five young people um, are out of work now. Presumably this, this is going to be a big, big problem for the authorities. Yes, of course. I think uh, this is a very big problem. And because you have many major industries and under 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 policies uh, uh, influence, so we have the public sector, we have the education sector, and also even the internet sectors, uh, reducing high uh, hiring people. So I think uh, that is uh, why we also have so high unemployment rate among youth in China, and this is a major problem because those industries actually are still under policy influence, and I think that people are a little bit reluctant to invest in those industries right now. It seems that young people are really bearing the brunt of, uh, of the economic slowdown at the moment. Yeah, and of course, many young people may 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 may, may find their ways on the internet themselves, uh, but I think that is that really will not help too much. So I think uh, right now the the the, the un- unemployment among young people actually would be a very big problem in China. Now, the real fly in the ointment amongst the data was the property market. Uh, which seems to be mired in a really deep slump. Real estate investment contracted further to nearly 14% in August after a 12.1% decline in July. New home prices fell 0.3% month on month. That's the 12th consecutive month on month uh, decline in home prices. Um, And real estate, uh, real estate investment uh, that was down over 30% year-on-year. Year. Sorry, residential property sales was down over 30% year-on-year year in the January to August period. There just doesn't seem to be any sign of a pickup at all in the housing market, does there? No, not at all. And, um, I mean, you look at the demographics in China, it's going to be hard to actually see the housing market completely recover. I mean, we're starting to see declining population now. Mm. Um, so... You know the demand, or the, I mean, what what's out there can be bought. So I, I mean, it's going to be a lot of supply with a lot less demand, and I say it's it is going to be quite difficult going forward. Um, but obviously, at this particular juncture, where people are very uncertain about their futures, people don't know when lockdowns going to end. People are not going to start putting down big money uh, in order to buy homes, and so it's it's going to take a long time for that to recover for sure. Do you think, Alex, there's going to have to be more uh, government support for the property sector? Maybe as much as the government, Beijing doesn't want to do it, maybe bailouts for property companies? I don't think that they would uh, bail out the property companies, but they probably would try to uh, help to bail out those unfinished projects or to help those uh, uh, homeowners, I think. Uh, but uh, this would be very difficult because... Uh, People all know that uh, the property market is in a downturn and you can wait and see. So I think that they would, um, uh, they would, sus- they would suspend the decision to buy homes uh, for quite a long time. So I think uh, that would be a really big problem uh, to solve.
Is it enough what the government's doing to try and support both the property sector and the economy overall, or do you think they should be doing more? Uh, I think uh, they have learned a lesson in two nights, so they are quite uh, reluctant to to pump a lot of liquidities into the systems. Mm. So I think uh, they are letting the bubble bars so, uh, and, 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 and take away sense attitudes uh, towards the problem. So I think that that's why uh, we are taking a very long time to, to see how, they, how, how, how the things roll out in, in those uh, sectors. Despite this data, which was overall sort of better than expected, with the exception of the property market, the yuan is still on the slide. It broke uh, through seven on Friday, both the offshore and the onshore yuan. The offshore yuan reached 7.04 uh, against the dollar. It has recovered a bit uh, this morning. Uh, what, what do you make of this uh, slide in the yuan against the dollar? It's going to import inflation, isn't it, into, into China? And do you think the authorities ought to be concerned by this? Well, let's not forget um, all currencies against the dollar are down. So it's, it's just following what is a global trend. Um, you alluded to earlier, euro is at parity, um, pounds to 35-year lows. Um, so yens at multi-year, I mean, decade lows as well. So every currency is down against the dollar. And I mean, if you take the yuan's uh, downturn again in comparison to the others, it's not as bad. So anything that's dollar priced, yes, there will be imported inflation. Um, but if you, you know, if they're finding goods from elsewhere where currencies are affected as well, it doesn't necessarily import inflation. And also, a lot of production is done in China anyway, so that there isn't, you know, going to be huge strains on the inflation side, which is mm. also why I think they were able to lower their interest rates uh, last last month. So they can afford to do that. Uh, Alex, City, uh, Citibank said last week that the US dollar is the only game in town for at least the rest of the year. And their strategist said the only place to hide is in US dollar cash, as it's the only possible hedge for what's turning into the biggest destruction of shareholder value since the global financial crisis. What, what do you make of this uh, strength of the US dollar? I think, uh, first of all, I think the US dollar will continue to strengthen uh, against other currencies. But I think uh, the, the, the other countries actually are, are okay to, to allow their currency to depreciate. As long as the depreciation is not at a very fast pace, they, they allow a slow depreciation. So uh, that will help exports and, and people actually would uh, get used to the lower rates as, uh, gradually. So I think uh, we probably could see the US dollar to appreciate gradually uh, towards the end of this year. Uh, and I and I think uh, that there is a too pessimistic comment towards the stock stock market. If you look at the um, U.S. market right now, actually uh, last week was not too bad, given the bad news from Adobe, FedEx, and even Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. I think uh, uh, we are seeing some um, bargain hunting in the, in, the, in the stock market right now. And as long as the inflation actually is not too hot, I think uh, there would not be a very high chance of uh, substantial uh, shareholder value destructions uh, among all companies. So where where would you go if you're worried about inflation? You can't just sit in U.S. dollar cash, can you? So where, uh, particularly out here um, in Asia, where where would you go? In Asia, I, I would not go to, to China. I think uh, probably um, selectively buying Japanese companies uh, because they are more they are cheaper and they probably would be helped by the currency's uh, weakness. And of course, but but of course, you have to hedge against the currency as well. Nitin, where would you go if, uh, if you want to try and hedge yourself against uh, worsening inflation and, and this global sell-off? Where, is, it, is there any way I, mean, I, kind of, I kind of agree with City. I mean, I think if you want to play it, I mean, it depends how safe you want to be. If you want to play it safe, you've got to go um, 
you've got to go US dollar. I mean, that the moment is the only game in town. And you've got rising interest rates, so you will get some sort of return out of your dollar deposits pretty soon. If you're going to put a gun to my head and say, where else would I go? Um, I'd probably look at somewhere like Hong Kong. At least the currency's pegged, so you're not going to have the currency risk. Mm. Um, I do think there will be a point in which it just becomes so cheap, people are going to have to start looking at it. And who knows, maybe we'll get some sort of good news and the government might actually open up the doors to Hong Kong as well, and that will improve sentiment. So, I mean, out of all the all the uh, markets out there, if I was had to play in the stocks, I would probably look at Hong Kong at the moment. Would you do that, Alex, as well? Do you think um, this is the time for, for Hong Kong? It hasn't, hasn't had a great uh, few weeks, really, has it? Well, I think uh, selectively. You cannot go towards the index uh, because I think uh, the internet sectors and property sectors will still be affected. But I agree that uh, probably there, there's some interesting place among those uh, companies which would be a healthy variety reopening in Hong Kong. Okay, great. Well, thank you for your thoughts. Have a good week. That was Alex Wong, Director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. Nitin Dialdis, who's Chief Investment Officer at Mandarin Capital. 5.67am, Radio 3. Radio 3. Radio 3 Autumn Schedule. Common Room is coming to you at 5pm. Still bringing your hottest hits and backstage interviews. Hey, this is Dua Lipa, and I'm talking to Alison Howe. Hey guys, Taylor here. Hey, it's Billie Eilish. What's up guys, it's Sophia Carson. Hey Hong Kong, this is Ed Sheeran, and stay tuned to Alison Howe on RTHK. And there's more inspiring career <laughs> journeys and plenty of young voices. Common Room with Alison Howe. Come and hang out with us in the Common Room. Hi, I'm Alison Howe. Meet me at 5. It's Radio 3's new autumn schedule. Autumn schedule. Common Room is coming to you at 5 p.m. Time's 8.24. On the phone from Shanghai is independent economist Andy Share. Morning to you, Andy. Yeah, good morning, Peter. Now, we were talking earlier about this uh, data on the on the program from, from China in August. Let me ask you, first of all, your overall impression of the numbers. There were some bright spots in it, weren't there, but also some pretty ugly numbers as well, particularly in the property sector. What are your thoughts about how the economy is looking on the mainland at the moment after this data? Well, I think that the COVID, uh, yeah, the zero COVID really created this volatility in data that you have shutdowns, then uh, lockdowns, then you have recovery, the, the bounce. Uh, then, uh, so on the domestic side, uh, you have this, uh, this uh, volatility that uh, does not indicate a, a trend. That's what we saw in August, that uh, the, uh, the lockdown situation was, was, was better. So we have some recovery in, the, uh, in, in domestic uh, consumption. But we, we got a lockdown in, in September, so you would expect the worst numbers. In particular, the, the, the mid-autumn festival, the spending's down 60%. So you, 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 you would expect a, a much worse September. But on the property side, it's a, it's a continuing situation. It's just a, a recovery is not possible, I think. This is basically a big bubble uh, popping, uh, and it's hard landing. Uh, I don't see any way back. And it has broad implications for construction sector, for construction equipment sector, construction materials and so forth. So it's going to be a drag on the economy for a long time to come. So what what does the government need to do? Because as you say, the the property uh, slump, it's uh, it's a depression really, isn't it? It's Hello? definitely getting worse. 
uh, there. What, what do you think the government should do to try and boost that? Well, China needs restructuring. China hasn't reformed for 20 years since uh, Premier Zhu Rongji did uh, around the reforms and uh, took China into morning, the WTO. Jim. It's been uh, drifting ever ever since. It's mm. just a lot of uh, structural problems have been accumulating. But uh, the government is unwilling to uh, deal with these problems. In particular, is the uh, the the imbalance in between consumption and investment. Investment is too big. The second is that uh, uh, Ch- Chinese uh, capital investment is uh, is disproportionate into uh, manufacturing into small cities mm-hmm. and not very efficient. So, uh, but also what 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 are the market wants is to, for China to become much more mega city led uh, because people like to live in big cities and the big cities are more efficient. So you cut investment, boost the consumption, concentrate investment in uh, in developing mega cities, and uh, and just uh, probably shut down a lot of small city governments. And so the 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 China obviously will will will, will surge because of the current per capita income is still relatively low, and Chinese people are very productive. But I I think that politically uh, it's uh, it's very difficult. And why China hasn't reformed is because of a political constraints. Mm. The uh, I think the Communist Party is uncomfortable with a consumption-driven society, which means private enterprise, private enterprise on the supply side. And make city-driven society, that means that uh, a lot of people living in one place and it's not easy uh, for the Communist Party to control. So China is really running into political constraints. It's also going to run into financial constraints, isn't it? Because local governments uh, rely on the property market for uh, the major source of their their revenues. So they've got to sort of also lessen their dependence on selling land. Yeah, I, I think that the, the local governments will be become like kind of like a. We we, we used to talk about zombie uh, companies. Uh, we in China we we probably will be talking about zombie governments. You have uh, all these governments basically they are there and they they can't cannot pay the their the employees. Mm. But the, the the problem is, even big property developers now are really suffering, aren't they? Like Country Garden, it's reported uh, that its profits have completely collapsed. It said the market has slid rapidly into deep depression. Um, is the government going to have to bail out the whole sector here? Yeah, I think the, 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 certainly the top 100, 100 companies, uh, the sales down by about 70% or so. So this is a really hard landing. And the property sector has uh, uh, really serious problems. It has never been cash positive. It, it, it runs on more and more debt. Now uh, this the music has stopped. It's very hard to see how they 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 can survive. So really, China's got to just redesign its whole economic model, hasn't it? Because uh, it's been dependent too long for this enormous sector with so much of the country's wealth tied up on it. Uh, but it's going to be very difficult and, and long to, to 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 do that, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think the right thing to do is to to deal with the consequences of this bubble bursting, and reform the economy and uh, generate uh, new sources of productivity, uh, and uh, and uh, use these gains to pay for the cost, mm. uh, which uh, the government doesn't want to do. The government basically is depending on exports. My Chinese people still work hard, and uh, as long as the global economy is standing, Chinese exports will keep going. So, so uh, the domestic economy will become like a in, in a zombie-like situation for for many years.
Okay, Andy, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. That's Andy Sher, Shanghai-based independence economist. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. The SX200 in Australia uh, is up about 0.1%. In fact, it's just gone flat now. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea is slipping. That's down about a quarter of a percent. Uh, looks like the Hang, uh, the Hang Seng is going to open about 30 points or so lower later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news is back chat with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, a few showers, squally thunderstorms, sunny intervals during the day. It can be very hot in the afternoon. Maximum temperature of about 33 degrees. And the outlook is for it to be windy with one or two showers. Temperatures are going to fall slightly on Tuesday and Wednesday. That very hot weather warning is in force, as is a thunderstorm warning. 27 degrees, 81% relative humidity. 8.31, here's Ben Sher with a half-hour news. One of the largest gatherings of global statesmen and women for decades has taken place at Buckingham Palace ahead of the funeral of Queen Elizabeth. Her son, King Charles, hosted the reception. From outside the palace, here's the BBC's Rebecca Jones. It was an unprecedented gathering of world leaders, heads of state, royalty, and the US President Joe Biden arrived here in the presidential motor car known of course as the beast some of the other dignitaries also arrived in their own vehicles but we also saw a convoy of coaches frustratingly with blacked out windows so it was difficult to know uh, who the guests inside were but it was rather tantalizing to imagine that an emperor might have been rubbing shoulders with a king Authorities in Japan have urged millions of people to head for emergency shelters as a huge storm moves across the southern island of Kyushu. In the coming days, Typhoon Nan Madal is expected to sweep over the country's most populated areas. The Prime Minister Fumio Kishida gave this warning before darkness fell. Do not go near dangerous areas. If you feel that you are in danger, do not hesitate to evacuate. Please take early action to save your lives. Evacuating at night is extremely dangerous. Please evacuate to safe areas like high places and sturdy buildings while it is still light. The storm could be one of the biggest to hit Japan in decades. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about a baby bonus suggestion to help address the city's low birth rate and ageing population. The New People's Party has said the government should offer a $20,000 payment to the uh, family of every newborn. It's also suggesting a $50,000 subsidy to encourage people to have their eggs or sperm frozen for use at a later date. Hong Kong saw a record low birth rate last year, with the number falling below 40,000 for the first time in more than five decades. And after 9.15, we'll talk about tree management after a large tree fell onto a school bus in Ho Man Tin on Friday. Let us know what you think. If you want to join the conversation, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 266.
And joining us now on the line, we have uh, Regina Ip, the New People's Party chairwoman and legislator. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, so you, you've described this figure of $20,000, which you suggested as, a, as a, a red packet for the families of newborns because of